Some dangers announce themselves. Some dangers are loud and clear, like a cactus or a rattlesnake. Other dangers lurk, and they're unseen, like a virus or a crocodile or an alligator underneath the water. One of those hidden dangers is right in the middle of the majestic Cascade Mountain Range in Washington State. It's a danger that lurks. The jewel of that mountain range is called Mount Rainier. It rises almost three miles above sea level and stands sentinel over Seattle and Tacoma. Every year, over two million people come from all over the world to scour Mount Rainier National Park. They hike, they fish, they camp, they explore, they climb. In short, people are constantly visiting this mountain, but there is a problem with this mountain. This mountain is not just a mountain, even though it's called Mount Rainier. It's also a volcano. Janine Krippner, a volcanologist at Concord University, says Mount Rainier is one of the most dangerous volcanoes in the world, and it's a huge concern. It's one of those dangers, like we've said, that lurks and is hidden and is not so obvious. You'd never be able to tell if you were to go there today and hike and fish and camp that Mount Rainier is a threat to explode. Some dangers are open and obvious, and other dangers hide and lurk and threaten to explode later, like Mount Rainier. This morning, we're going to look at a danger that could lurk within all of us, that could threaten to explode one day. A danger that's not open and obvious, that doesn't announce itself. A danger that's not so easy to see or detect. A danger that's lurking. A danger that lurks inside many of us and can get in the way of who we think we are. A danger that can be concealed behind the happy, smiling Christian faces that we have. A danger that can hide amongst our daily responsibilities and commitments. The danger is a danger of identity confusion. We can all, no matter who we are, no matter how long we've been a Christian, carry around within us the lurking danger of identity confusion. A danger that threatens to explode at any moment. Now, in just a second, I'm going to read James chapter 1, verses 9 through 12. And you're going to see James talk about the rich brother and the poor brother. But don't be fooled. James is talking about identity here. He's not just talking about money and possessions. The reason he's talking about money and possessions is this. We, as humans, are very likely to gain our identity by what we have or don't have. That's why. And if you read it and say, well, I'm not crazy poor and I'm not crazy rich, therefore this doesn't apply to me. False. It does. Because we can be all tempted to define ourselves wrongly through the lens of money and possessions. There is a danger of identity confusion and this morning James draws our attention to that danger. He's going to Help us look and see why it's dangerous and guide our eyes to Jesus. Because who we are starts and ends with Jesus. Who you are 
starts and ends with Jesus and not the possessions or the money you have. I'm going to read beginning in James chapter 1, verses 9 through 12. The version I'm reading from is called the English Standard Version. You can follow along with me as I read. God's word begins, Let the lowly brother, that should read brother or sister, boast in his exaltation, and the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Would you join me as I pray? Lord, I cannot think of anyone in this room more needy than me, Lord. I pray for help. I pray, Lord, I don't want to just stand up here and occupy the next number of minutes, Lord. I want to serve these wonderful people. I want these people to be able to see you in the Scriptures. I want these wonderful people who I love more than anybody I pray that they would hear your voice in the scriptures. I pray that they would listen, Lord. I pray that I would listen even as I preach. Lord, I I know that this is not something I can conjure up on my own, and so I come to you and ask for help. I pray that despite my many limitations, I pray that you would work through your word this morning and get our attention. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, if you, if you have, as we read James, one thing that I need to say, and I'll probably say this a few times as we go through this book, is that James speaks in a strikingly different way than the rest of the New Testament writers, especially Paul. If you're used to reading Paul, Paul in his 13 letters in the New Testament, Paul is kind of like a professor, right? Wearing a smoking jacket with patches on. Paul is logical and measured, he's articulate, and he's thorough. And if he spoke English, I think he would kind of have an English accent. James is very different. I imagine James being comfortable in jeans and an old t-shirt and a trucker hat, sitting over bad coffee at a greasy spoon diner. So you see, James speaks with force and simplicity. James would win the New, Testament, the New Testament award for being the most socially awkward person who has a book in the New Testament. He doesn't care how you feel. He just wants, to know, wants you to know something that's true. And so what he does is turn after turn after turn after turn as he says, this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. This is how you become a follower of him. This is it. This is it. And, and here's the, the challenge. Very, James is very easy understand and very hard to obey. That's the reality. James is very easy to understand and very hard to obey. And so this morning, we're going to see this danger that lurks. We're going to see it in three movements. First, in the lowly. We get this in James 1, verse 9. Verse 1, 
Verse 9, let the lowly brother or sister boast in his exaltation. Now, when James says lowly, he, means, he doesn't just mean poor. He means anyone who is without rights and resources. He's talking about the lowest of the low in society. What does he say to the lowest of the low? Boast or take pride in your exaltation. Now, how is that possible? Those that are lowly and overlooked, they do not have anything to exalt in, do they? The lowly are the people who are invisible in society, the kind of person that no one influential even notices, the kind of people that have no rights and no regard by others. These are the, the lowly people are those that no one comes after. The lowly are overlooked and ignored and neglected and disregarded and excluded and slighted and perpetually left out. How can they boast in their exaltation? The reason he says this is so that we, the reader, might ask, what exaltation? How can there be any exaltation associated with those that are overlooked, ignored, neglected, disregarded, excluded, and slighted? How? You see, he gives us this word, exaltation, to get our minds turning in a different way. If you know the Bible, you hear the echo of the Sermon on the Mount. The, the Sermon on the Mount presents an upside-down kingdom. James does, too. And so when James says, you lowly, boast in your exaltation, what's he saying? He's saying, poor Christian, boast in the fact that you know Christ, that you are exalted. Because the most important thing about you is not what you don't have or what you might have, or what you, one day, what you had at one point and lost, but the most important thing about you is who you know. And if you know Jesus, you can boast in the fact, in your exaltation. You can boast in the fact because Christ has lived and died and rose again and ascended to the right hand of the Father. You can boast in the fact that one day you will be with Him. One day, no matter how much money you have, no matter how much property you have, no matter what you have in this world, you will be with God because Jesus has opened the way. There is a future exaltation that's going to come. He's telling the forgotten of the culture that God has not forgotten them. You ever feel overlooked, or ignored, or neglected, disregarded, excluded, and slighted? James doesn't say, oh, that's not real. No, James says, look somewhere else. He says, look to God. The same idea as Isaiah the prophet says in Isaiah chapter 49. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? The answer to that is no. But then we see Isaiah going on and saying, even, if the, even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. The lowly, James wants the lowly to see. You are a part of him. Boast in your exaltation. Boast in your exaltation. Boast in the fact that you are now associated with Jesus Christ. You see, those that don't have much think they don't amount to much. 
James would say, false. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. What's important? The things that you have in your account, the house you live in, the clothes that you have, the car that you drive. James would say, no, what's important is, the, is whether or not you know Jesus. You may not have influence, but if you know Jesus, you can boast in your exaltation. You may not have money, but if you know Jesus, you can boast in your exaltation. You may not have security financially, but if you know Jesus, you can boast in your exaltation. You may not have clout, but if you know Jesus, you can boast in your exaltation. You may not have fame or influence, but if you know Jesus, you can boast in your exaltation. In other words, lowly, do not think of yourself wrongly. Don't let there be a danger lurking inside of you that could explode that says, I am what I have. False. If there's any group in the history of the world that's apt to think that way, it's we Americans. It's not true. James draws our attention away from our money and possessions and forces us to look to Jesus. Though we may be now seated in the dust, we're also seated in the heavenly places even now with God. Though many have forgotten us, our Savior is interceding now for each of us by name. Though none of us may walk the corridors of power, we have access to the throne room. Though potentates do not seek us out for counsel, we have the Ancient of Days as our Father. Though we may not look like much now, one day we will see Jesus and we will be like Jesus. One day. All who carry the name of Christian. We will be exalted because we will be with the exalted Christ. See how James turns the conversation? Do you see that if you get this wrong, if you get your identity wrong, if, even if you're lowly, James doesn't deny that there are people in the, in, the church, in the church that are lowly and of small account in the culture that they find themselves in. He doesn't say, hey, pretend like that's not true. Instead, what he does is he says, take your eyes off of that and look to Jesus instead. You see, it's a grave danger for us as Americans or us for anybody from anywhere to think, I am what I have. The lowly thinks, because I don't have much, therefore I am not much. Instead, James says, look to Jesus and not what you have. Because if you don't look to Christ, you will have identity confusion, and that is a ticking time bomb ready to explode. We've seen his counsel to the lowly. Now we hear his counsel to the wealthy. In verses 10 and 11. Now here's a clue to how, which he thinks is more dangerous. James gives eight words to the lowly, eight words of advice, and 50 to the wealthy. Which do you think is more dangerous? Which do you think is harder? Which, which way do you think is more apt to have identity confusion? It's those that have more than enough. And if you think, well, I'm not wealthy or I'm not rich, James uses the poles, the extremely poor and the extremely rich, so that everyone can find themselves somewhere on the continuum. 
he says to this, he says this in verse 10, and the rich in his humiliation. Now we have to read verse 9 to remind ourselves why he says it this way. Verse 9, let the lowly brother or sister boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. You see, he's telling the wealthy, those who have more than enough, to boast in their humiliation. Now that is the polar opposite of what our culture says. Our culture says, if you have enough money, you have it made. Our culture says, if you drive the right car, you have it made. If you have the right kind of clothes, you have it made. If you have one, two, three, four houses, you have it made. If you have enough in your bank account to be able to provide for your needs, for your life and your children's life and your children's children's lives, you have it made. And here's the danger. We can think that because we have enough or more than enough, that now our identity is somehow tied to that stuff. Instead, James says, the wealthy should boast in their humiliation. They should boast in their humiliation. This is not a message that we hear in our world. The rich are the ones who have the keys to power. They're the ones who access, have access to everything that matters. They're the power brokers. They're the movers and shakers. They can buy what they want, when they want, how they want it. They can snap their fingers and get things done. The wealthy stalk the corridors of power. They know everyone who is anyone. They know the powerful and the beautiful and the mighty and the strong. They are the ones who are sought out. So why would they boast in their humiliation? Why would James call them to boast in their humiliation? James is reminding the wealthy of something that the world does not remind them of. It's this. You are nothing before Jesus. Nothing more than anyone else. You see, in our world, if you have more than enough, somehow there is importance and weight attributed to you, as if you are smarter or more um, accomplished than others. But James is saying something like this. Have you ever heard the phrase, the ground is level at the foot of the cross? That's what James is saying here. He's saying, those of you who are wealthy and treated like you are a special person in this culture, what you need to recognize is that you have no cause or right before this God. You need to recognize that the money you have did not open doors spiritually for you. Your money did not purchase standing with Jesus. Even though you have money and people will do what you want here, God is not like that. Isaiah 1 says, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. How? Are these sins done away with by making a deal? No, by trusting a Savior. By trusting a Savior. And he reminds us, those of us who engage in commerce and business, which is not wrong, those of us who earn money, which it, that in itself is not wrong. What's wrong is when we take our identity from that money. He reminds us of our end in verse 10 and 11. Because like the, a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. 
its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Everyone dies. That's what James is saying. Everyone dies, even the rich person. Everyone fades away, even him or her who has enough and more than enough. And he's saying, do not, do not trust your money. Do not, do not suffer with the identity confusion of loving money or thinking that you can do something special or you have some kind of protection because money, because you have more more than enough. You see, subtly, subtly what can happen is, is that those of us that have enough or more than enough, we can begin to set money up to be an idol and begin to hope in something like that. But money is a horrible God. Money is a vicious master. Trusting in money is like trusting in sandcastles. They stand for a while, but the tide takes them out every time. Trusting in money is like living for bubbles. They float around and then pop. Hoping in money is like, invite, it's like saying, I want to be disenchanted. Worshiping the almighty dollar is bowing to a tyrant. Money makes a rotten God and a worse savior. Money promises protection, but only delivers insecurity. Money promises peace, but brings war. Money promises fulfillment, but gives emptiness. Money promises security, but ushers in uncertainty. Money not only makes promises that it can't deliver, it makes never-ending demands upon us. Contrast what money does versus what Jesus has done. Think about this. Most of us in this room have enough or more than enough. And all of us in this room knows what, know what, knows what it's like to, to sort of feel. Like if you get, a, you get a raise, you feel like you're more of a person than you were yesterday or the day before. Or you feel like you're, you're just more confident. James is saying, don't boast in that kind of confidence. Boast in your humiliation. Jesus promises protection, and he always gives it. Jesus promises peace, and he gives it. Jesus promises fulfillment, and he gives it. Jesus promises security, and he gives it. Money can't calm an anxious heart. Money can't call back a wayward child. Money is powerless to heal heal a terminal disease. Money is unable to buy happiness. It can't add one hour to your life. It can't inject meaning to your life. But Jesus can. You see, we who have more than enough must recognize that we have nothing when it comes to Christ. We have no ability to buy our way into the throne room. We have no ability to open doors that others can't open just because we have a little more. We have no ability to say, I'm going to make a deal. Let me parlay with you. We do not have that ability. In this world, we might be able to buy things and hold deeds in our hands. We might be able to accumulate cars and wealth, but we cannot, we cannot, Make those things, turn those things into spiritual rewards and realities. We must exult in our humiliation. An anonymous Chinese pastor says, it's not persecution of the church in China that I fear. The church has always been able to weather persecution. My fear 
is the love of money in the church. You see, that's the lurking. That's the lurking danger. Hiding under the surface. This is where we have to think rightly about ourselves so that we might not have identity confusion. We need to remember that much more important than however much money we have in our bank account is our relationship with Jesus. Much more important. And even much more important than that is this. The fact that we have a relationship with Jesus speaks more to him than us. We are sinners who deserve punishment, but we've received mercy and grace from him, not because we deserve it, but because he gives freely and he loves us. It's good to remember that our money cannot protect us from hardship and trials. It's good to remember that having extra is a hardship and trial in and of itself. It's good to remember it's good to remember that that we have no claims before this holy God. I don't know the state of his soul and I'm certainly not trying to pass judgment. But I do know this. I do know that Kobe Bryant, with all of his abilities, all of his awards, all of his accolades, all of his abilities, all of his championships, all of his net worth, none of that was able to protect him from his date with God. We need to remember that. Money cannot buy everything we need. We forget that. In fact, the most important things we have as Christians are not bought and sold, but given freely. You see, the reason that we can exalt in humility, or our humiliation, is we remember what we have before Christ. What do we have? We have nothing. Why would Christ, why would God give us grace? He has no reason to. Do we deserve it? No. How can we act as if we earned something? We have, we've earned nothing from Him. The transcendent all-holy, almighty God stands far outside of us, and yet He has sent His Son so that we might not be left alone. He has sent His Son to purchase us by His Son's blood, and that is all of grace. That means that we have no rights. That means we are purchased. We come to God and we say, we belong to you entirely. We have nothing to offer. We have nothing to bring. You own us completely. Grace makes this claim on our life. You see, if we bought our salvation, or if we bought our way into the throne room, then we can negotiate. No, I'm not going to do that. No, I'm going to not do this. But we didn't. And sometimes, sometimes, when you have more than enough in your pocket, or in your bank account, 
you can forget that everything of value that you've received, you've been given. We do not get, Christians, what we deserve. We deserve death and hell. We receive hope and eternal life. Though we were spiritually bankrupt, we now have immeasurable riches because we have Christ. Though we, ought, we brought nothing to the equation, save our sin, we've received mercy. Though we have a great debt that we could never pay, we've received grace. And our identity does not, it does not, does not, must not be defined by what we have. Our identity starts and ends with Jesus. Do you see that if you allow the money that you have or don't have to define who you are or who you're not, you won't know who you are. The poor are apt to think they're nothing and James says, you're exalted to the heights with Jesus. The rich are apt to think they're something. And he says, you've got nothing when it comes to you and Jesus. So we've seen the lowly and we've seen the wealthy. Now he speaks to the Christians. James chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man or woman who remains steadfast under trial. That right there is a definition of what a Christian is. A Christian is somebody who continues to follow Jesus even in the midst of soul-crushing sorrow, even in the midst of, 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 of hardships that are impossible, seemingly impossible in the moment to get through. That's the definition of a Christian. A Christian is one who believes in Jesus one moment and continues to believe in him by continuing to walk with him. By, James goes on, standing the test for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. God doesn't, James doesn't, doesn't address in, in verse 12, either the poor or the rich, the wealthy or the lowly. He just says, here's a blessing. Here's a blessing to any that will endure. Whether rich or poor, you must remain steadfast under trial. There is a trial associated with having too much. There is a trial associated with not having enough. But whether whichever one you're facing, our trial is to endure. Our call is to remain steadfast. When you meet trials of various kinds, the testing of your faith, that produces steadfastness. And James says in verse 12, blessed is that person who remains steadfast under whatever trials that come. Why? For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. He will receive the crown of life. Those of us who follow Jesus to the end will receive eternal life. Not because we bought it, not because we made a deal. Not because he took pity on us because we're lowly. But because, because 
we have come to him and asked for forgiveness. And because he has extended that to us. And our call, James says, is this. Whether you have enough or whether you don't have enough, remain steadfast. And you will be rewarded with the crown of life. You will have eternal life. You will be with Jesus forever. And this crown is a symbol of that reward. We're not, being, we're not called to change the world. We're not called to lead, like, lead grassroots movement that, movements that, that affect the whole globe. We're called to remain faithful. And for most of us, that means we stay doing what we're doing. We live where we are, and we fight to keep a right perspective of who we are. That's what, most of it, that's what it means for most of us. Remaining steadfast and faithful to the end, whether you have enough or whether you don't have enough, that's what we're called to do. Revelation describes the one that is faithful to the end as a conqueror. We see this in Revelation chapter 2, verses 26 through 28, in Jesus' words to the church at Thyatira. To the one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. You see that? Hardship is difficult enough. So difficult in this life that Jesus calls those who are faithful to the end conquerors. Conquerors. James says it in a different way. He says, those of you who are faithful to the end, you'll receive a crown of life. You'll receive a crown of life. May we know who we are. We're a people not defined by what we have in our account. We're a people not defined by what we can buy or what we can't buy. We're a people who are defined by Jesus, called to take one, one step put one foot in front of the other and remain steadfast under any trial that comes, whether it's a trial of much or a trial of not much. Because we are all the same before this Jesus. We remain steadfast. We keep walking in him. We will receive the crown of life. Jesus is the most important thing about us. He is the one to whom our, our identity points to him. You do not understand who you are if you don't understand who you are in Christ. May we understand who we are. Let's pray. Lord, I ask for help this morning. Um, but I don't know the status of every person in this room. There are some who know you. There are some who don't. I pray that you, would, you will have spoken to all of us, and I ask that you would give us this morning the blessing, the blessing just of an awareness of the crown of life that is coming to us. Lord, one day we will see you. One day we will be like you. One day we will receive eternal life. One day we will hear your voice. Well done. One day we will be with you. One day faith will be sight. 
That day probably isn't today for most of us. And so I pray that you would help us to know who we are. I pray that our identities would not be wrapped up in the kind of car we drive or the money that we have or the status that we have. May it not be wrapped up in what we do have or don't have, but may we define ourselves with you, Jesus. So if we don't have much, Lord, may, we, may that cause us to look to you so that we can recognize that one day we will be exalted. If we do have more than enough, Lord, may that reality help not make us proud or boastful, but Lord, I pray that you would help us to recognize we have nothing when it comes to Jesus. We have nothing to offer. The ground is level at the foot of the cross, and I pray that that would be what we take away, Lord. But regardless, I pray that you would help us, help us, Lord Jesus, to know who we are, not have identity confusion. In this trial of money, it's in your name we pray, Jesus, the one who was rich but for our sake became poor so that we might become rich. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Next week, we will continue through James. We'll visit him again in the Greasy Spoon Diner as we look in James chapter 1. I do want to just say, as Jeff said, these are out in the lobby. It's a great way to be able to take notes throughout the series. And if there are five, there are five women's Bible studies happening throughout the East Valley, which is wonderfully exciting. Um, men, you can grab these too and meet at Starbucks and have your